Hey, this is Andy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase it all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. We are back, ready to start season four. And we have new things lined up like this new BOC in real life episode. You know it's coming. I feel like it's every episode now. We have a lot of exciting (laughs) things. So speaking of exciting things, before we get into this new episode, what we'll talk about, um, we have another exciting thing. We have a new podcast review. (laughs) It was so fitting. Yes, we do. We always love getting the podcast reviews because it's always cool to kind of read what people think. And, and it's been a while. It has been a while. You're right. You want to read this one? Yes. This one's by Rockin' Robin 53. Wonderful podcast using an engaging balance of education and stories. I love that they've also created a space on social media for ATs to share the ins and outs of the job, ask for advice, and just generally have a community in what can sometimes be a lonely profession. I know, that's really nice. I love our community. We do have a pretty dope community. Yeah. It's all thanks to you guys. Yes, 100%. That sounds like really cheesy, but honestly, (laughs) like it's not just us two. It's not a community without the community. No. No, I really love... I know that there's, especially like on Facebook groups, I feel like a lot of people are getting slack for like the anonymous posting and Mm -hmm. like I feel... But I feel like there's a lot of like... I mean, social media, you have to be careful, Yeah, you know, and you, it's, it's not open. You can't just always ask anything, but I feel like in our community, it's so open that you really can mm-hmm. really go to athletic trainers within our community or mm-hmm. us or, or just ask questions. And it's really just built on learning. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. hundred percent. We're always students. Yes. And it's true. Sometimes this profession does feel pretty lonely, especially depending on the setting you're at, right? Like some high schools, literally, you are probably the only athletic trainer at your school. And there's probably not a lot of other athletic trainers in that district that you're relying on, but their situations are different too than yours. So speaking of learning, we decided that for this story episode, we're going to create a new series called BOC IRL, which is basically the BOC in real life. And, um, we're, you know, this is not just for people studying for the mm-hmm. BOC, but it's for like, we're going to go over like what, like quote unquote, like BOC topics, but really like what is in real life of athletic training and people actually, we're trying to bridge that gap like we've, we've always been doing through the podcast. It's taking what the book says and what is presented in real life. Because as we all know, real life tends not to be quite like what the book said. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, So this one specifically, I figured we'd start with heat illnesses because I don't know how you guys are doing, but we're burning up over here in Southern California. Um, And, you know, it's football hell week and camps and you know just the start of fall sports and some people would view football as hell season um okay we can get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um we're just gonna do like a good balance of like review and then like stories and then mm-hmm. we're gonna chime in and i think it'll be i think it'll be a good series yeah i'm excited for this because it's true right like we t- you know students when they're coming out right they have all this like all the knowledge from you know, their courses and, you know, again, with the textbook kind of hints at, and then when you kind of get that difficult case in real life, it's like, 
man, it didn't quite present quite like I thought it would because of just what I was anticipating from like what I was taught. So it's kind of cool to kind of see how just, again, medicine is an art. And mm-hmm. sometimes, yeah, how just real life is makes it an art. Right. Um, so anyway, I'm just going to get started in just basically like the knowledge of heat-related illnesses because they most often occur in those hot, humid, and sunny conditions. Um, that's what we really think of as um, as a heat-related illness. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you're not really thinking of it in like a cold environment. Yeah. Um, but it can also happen due to heavy training, competing in cold environment, dehydration, which leads to heat exhaustion, heat stroke. Um, and then also just, as we know, protective equipment that doesn't allow dissipation through mm-hmm. sweating. So I did ask on our Instagram stories, which I should probably pull that up, um, what it, or if anyone had had a heat illness that mm-hmm. wasn't in the heat. And actually, 41% of people said they actually had to respond to a heat illness when it was not humid or sunny or hot. Oh, interesting. I was not expecting that number yeah. to be so high. Yeah, neither would I. That's it. I mean, it does tell you it it can happen at any time, really. It's it again, it is an individual response right to the thermal effect of activity. Well, if you think of also like the people who've had heat illness before are more mm-hmm. susceptible. So yeah. if you factor that in and then like heavy training, which is gonna be any sport, honestly. Yeah. And dehydration, again, any sport. Slash yeah. these athletes, they a lot of them don't like water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's really easy. Like, you know how many of these kids are practicing dehydrated. So mm-hmm. um, so Gabby L said, I had it happen in a basketball gym for a basketball game. It was cold outside, so they had the heater on in the mm-hmm. gym. I was at a high school at the time, an especially small one, that barely had any resources, especially to dunk someone. I definitely wasn't expecting it to happen. Luckily, it was a post game when she collapsed. So I sent my girls to get wet towels and ice bags for her. I was able to get back without activating e- get her back without activating EMS and was able to send her home with her mom later that night. Nice. Also, yeah, hot gym is the worst. Ugh. We used to, I used to be at a venue where the gym was it was a very small gym. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, they packed it in. So, a lot of bodies, small area gets hot. But then how the because it, it wasn't our own facility, it was somewhere else. At a certain time, like the like the air conditioner would just kick off. Mm-hmm. So literally, by the time the game's almost over, the AC's now off Oof. and it's starting to get a little toasty. So, Did you ever have any problems with like heat? Luckily, no. Luckily, there wasn't really a lot of heat issues, especially at the end. I feel like that's like the worst yeah. time because like that's when fatigue sets in, mm-hmm. and that's obviously if you haven't been keeping up with your water intake, then yeah. that's when dehydration really sets in. Especially the basketball gym. I feel like that's real. I mean, you're running up and down the court. Yeah. You're not really expecting to have to treat for heat. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, yeah, like you see them like they're they're working really hard and like they're sweating a lot. But I feel like you're not going <laughs> to. I would be very surprised. Now, please tell me if you do, because I would be pretty amazed if you set up an ice tub in your basketball gym. I mean, maybe you set up in your ATR. I was going to say, go. well, if if your athletic training room is kind of connected to the gym, you have that benefit. That's true. 
but but I mean, it's not like it's ne- sometimes it's not necessarily close, right? Right. So it's going to take time to get the get the athlete there, right? So someone anonymous sent in. Um, they use a taco method for a quick cooling. So you lay the patient on the tarp, you hold all four corners up, and then you jump ice water on them. It's quick, efficient, and cost effective. Yes, most definitely, it is. It is a pretty effective method for sure. Right. Um, something that we practiced in our heat emergency day was. Um, to get someone in the middle of the tarp, you can uh, take half the tarp and you can like scrunch it up almost like accordion, just like scrunch it up, like almost like you're going to like put a sock on, you yeah. know, how you like scrunch your sock. And then um, you lay them, you lay the tarp next to them. You can log roll the person onto the um, tarp and then you spread out that part mm-hmm. you scrunch. So they're automatically already in the middle. You don't have to like, r- like roll burrito them. roll them <laughs> to the middle of the tarp. Or have to pick them up and yeah. get them to the middle of the tarp. You can just kind of roll them over. That was the interesting thing to watch, like the watch watching the students try and critically think, like mm-hmm. through that process of what to do. Um, because also too, like you can walk on the tarp. It's okay. Like you can lift <laughs> the kid, walk on the tarp. Put it like just don't be in the tarp. Right. When we're right. lifting the tarp, so like it's. I think it's tough too because for that emergency day, they were coming off of spineboarding stuff. So mm-hmm. spine boarding, right? It's all very careful, precise. Right. You heat, don't want to move the patient. Yeah. Heat illness. We're not worried about C-spine. We're trying to cool them. So well, I really hope you're not worried yeah, about C-spine. That'd be a bad day <laughs> if you're worried about both. Oh, man. But right, more than likely, it's just the heat illness, right? You, Hey, you can move that person, like, as long as their head's not flopping around. around. Yeah, flopping right. around. <laughs> right. Also, just the... I, I mean, that's just where practice comes in because, you know, yeah. we, we like putting the towel under the arms to keep them out of the, mm-hmm. keep their head and upper body out of the, um, out of the water, out of the water. I mean, not their upper body, but no, I see their, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Cause you don't want them to start to, yeah. start to slump down, you know? Right. So our MVP Nicolette. MVP also, Nicolette. She also weighed in. She said slush towels are the best prevention tool. When you put them out preventatively at games, kids eat that up. Yes, they do. So speaking of prevention, we are going to, so the way that I format this is I just kind of did the main heat illnesses Mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about those. And then at the end, we'll kind of go into like prevention strategies. Nice. Which that's what I used to do for soccer. Like if it was a warm day, I always had my ice towels and anytime someone came off or like if it was the half, oh yeah, I was throwing that stuff out there and those kids loved it. So I've been reading a lot into this because it's something that. I think I'm going to change for this season Okay. for our ice towels. Uh-huh. Um, I've been reading that if you put them on the back of the neck, it actually tricks the body into thinking that the blood or the body mm-hmm. is cooler than it is because that, that neck, like the, the blood within those arteries goes yeah. straight to your brain. Makes Whereas sense. like if you cool your arms or like your distal mm-hmm. extremities, um, you're more likely to get a quicker cooling of the body mm-hmm. because of the circulation and like you're not I'm, I, am i explaining this right yeah i see what you're saying because like because if you put it on the back of the neck your body thinks it's cooler than it is so it stops yes. the cooling yeah so it's natural cooling because the temperature of the blood going to the brain is going to be cooler than right. what's actually the core temp right makes sense so what i'm going to do instead and i you're supposed to like dunk. Some people say you can dunk like from bicep down or you could just uh, dunk the hands. Um, I have a feeling that some of my my <laughs> athletes are not going to be very happy if I ice their hands so they can't feel when they're yeah. playing. Um, so what I was thinking was ice towels, like a, 
uh, squeeze it down their arms uh-huh. and then wrap it around their wrists. Nice. Because then you're getting good artery yeah. flow. Yeah, for sure. And venous flow. Yeah. Both. Yeah, no, for sure. And then like on the top of the head just because it feels good. I don't think that really it has. Does, it does feel nice. Right. It does feel nice. Um. So I did specifically put into this episode heat illnesses, mm-hmm. Um. but I did want to also talk about just non-heat specific differentials of exertional hyponatremia, exertional sickling, diabetic emergency, and concussion because we're not specifically talking about those because they're not heat related. But anytime that you're dealing with any of these symptoms, you those are kind of some things that you want to yeah. think of. Also, I mean, not necessarily heat illness, but can be contributed by heat is uh, rhabdo. Yeah, rhabdo I don't can, know why I didn't rhabdo put that can. Here. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it's tough because you can get rhabdo without heat too, but it's not necessarily like heat causing it. It's just, it has a higher chance, right? a higher risk, right? which I've had, I've had an athlete with rhabdo too. Mm-hmm. Yep. So first heat illness that I put on here was heat rash or prickly heat. Have you ever dealt with that? I've never really seen someone get like a heat rash. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I've had a couple actually. I'm trying to think, and not one sticks out like, oh, yeah, dude, that's a heat rash, bro. So for what this is, it's basically a red-raised rash that occurs when the skin is continuously wet, like from sweating, and it's usually like on areas that the um, clothing is covered mm-hmm. um, because yeah. those are it's like harder for the body to like wick that away. Um, usually because the area stays wet, yeah, it could cause like that red-raised rash. Huh. And um, usually the athletes or the patients, whoever you're working with, it, they'll complain of like it's prickling, it's tingling, yeah. like it just that sweat sitting on the skin doesn't really feel good. Um, so I've had uh, two main ones that I can that really pop out to me. One that you've probably seen before um, is from uh, the tape. So it yeah. wasn't a tape rash. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't tape. It was a uh, um, the brace, the ankle yeah. brace. So underneath. I had a, I think she was, yeah, she's volleyball, volleyball player. Um, underneath her brace, she would get this like red raised, raised rash. Uh-huh. And it was because of like just the sweat that would pool in yeah. that area. So um, what we would do for her is we would get, um, I can't remember if we did baby powder or if we did okay. something else to like dry the area yeah. before she put it on and it, and oh. it really helped. Nice. And then, um, for i had a when i worked in performing arts i had a costuming tech who um they wear these like really thick polos and they were she was working like this area where costumes were and for some reason i don't know why because that doesn't make sense for the costumes but um it was super super hot in the it was it was also the second floor so it was super super hot in there they didn't have air conditioning um, and so she would get like super sweaty Yeah. and it was right around like her traps. It was like, um, like right under that collar, uh-huh. um, on both sides. Oh, poor thing. Right. So, um, we talked about, uh, getting a fan. We talked about, mm-hmm. uh, continually like toweling the body Nice. so that you can, well, that's technically what, yeah, what the book recommends is like toweling the body, but just cause you want to keep that area dry. So I was able to get her um, uh, 
drying the body. She has, I mean, the costuming had a lot of extra towels, so she was able to keep one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, she would change from like the morning to the afternoon into a different shirt, okay. and it totally cleared up. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. And it's literally just because the sweat sits yeah. on the skin. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, when she came to me, she was like, it was like I had just been reading about it. Uh-huh. And so it was perfect timing because I was like, so I think this is what you have. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. So the next kind of like progression of heat illness would be a heat syncope. And this is when someone stands in the heat for a long time. I'm sure you guys have all seen this. Yeah. Um, blood pools in the extremities. Um, it honestly like there's a lot of factors that it could happen um the, what i call like our fancy terms <laughs> is peripheral vasodilation of superficial vessels mm-hmm. so basically the um the super the superficial vessels like near the skin like near the top of the skin um peripheral so like away from the heart mm-hmm. um vasodilate so they bring blood to the to the areas of like the hands and feet which means away from your yeah. central nervous system. And then you faint to correct that position yep. or correct that condition. Yeah. Um, have you had a heat syncope? No, I haven't had someone actually pass out. I feel like you see this in like weddings. Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> First thing I thought of was weddings when groomsmen are just standing, lock out their knees, and then, yep. I think we had a friend down that happened you go. to at their wedding. Yes, yes, we did. It, there were ATs at that wedding too, so... They were ready. Yes. That person was in good hands. Yes. Um, I feel like this one's pretty straightforward. I didn't ask for any stories about this one because I figured uh, he syncope. Like, I mean, I guess some differentials. Like, anytime you have a collapse, you got to worry about exertional heat stroke. Yep. Absolutely. Um, what else? Diabetic. Yep. Emergency. Um, you've had a diabetic emergency. A random I did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we weren't, they weren't sure if he was diabetic, right? I think they were. Like, he was kind of on the edge. Yeah, I think he was like testing for it or he had like a strong family history of it. I'm like, oh man, it sounds like you might have it. (laughs) Right. So like you have to have other differentials, but usually if they, if you lay them down in a cool environment. Also heart. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely heart. Because you don't know what, you you know, they were exercising, passed out. Right. Or even if they're not exercising, yeah, pass out. you would still think heart. Right. Um, yeah, you pretty much, I mean, you pretty much treat this like you would yeah. a normal syncope. Okay, so then now we go into exercise-associated muscle cramps or heat cramps. Oh, the fun stuff. This is the stuff that I feel like you're going to you're gonna see this so much. Yes. And people treat it so similarly but differently. You know, it's... Uh... Uh, cramping's already very complex. So it's one of those things you just kind of shotgun it and hope one of them right. works, basically. Right. I was listening to this podcast that was talking about, because, I mean, you have the the various uh, differences of of what causes cramps. Yeah. And they're saying, you know, like we've been talking about like electrolyte-based mm-hmm. a lot, and obviously it's individualized, but they're really finding that fatigue is really the number one. Yeah. Um, cause of cramps, which yeah. kind of makes it hard to treat. Yeah, I would say, again, I haven't dived in, you know, to the research that much. Um, but um, I see hydration have a big role too. I mean, it could be also all the yeah. just because like the the fatigue is like 
number one doesn't yeah. mean that like you can't treat the other things and of get course. them better. You just like yeah. fatigue. You kind of have to just rest. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So book definition is overload or fatigue of muscles that cause muscle twitching and or cramping in the calves, abdomen, hamstrings, or quadriceps. Basically, like your body. Yep. <laughs> big, body. Big muscle groups in your body. Um. Whatever muscle group is like most demand during the exercise, obviously, is most likely to become the cramper. Um, It's also, the research is also kind of like up in the air, similar to like regular Mm -hmm. cramps. Like right now, regular cramps are more fatigue based and heat cramps are more due to like water loss and depletion of electrolytes. So kind of like what we were talking about, electrolytes being sodium, chloride, potassium, magnesium, calcium. Um. But essentially, the treatment recommended is like replace fluids, electrolytes, mild stretching, ice massage of the affected area, which... Everything. Yeah, just <laughs> shotgun, try everything. Um, honestly, I know some people have have sent this in and then also some people, um, some like my coworkers, really swear by the topical fuel. P-H-U-E-L. It. It. It's like a foam. You like just rub it on the area. I don't know what it does. But yeah. I mean, it helps cramps, but I, I don't know the like specifics is it spelled that way mm-hmm. well judging by the spelling like, uh, with the ph i'm sure it has something to do to correct the acidity because hmm. an acidic environment is very damaging to the to the cells and mm-hmm. it can help accelerate that fatigue hmm. so if it's creating more of a, a basic environment possibly then that that could be where it's going that's my best guess i don't work for fuel <laughs> i'm just guessing by the the spelling of the product I right i mean i i should just we have it at work so i should just go and look i'm sure i'm sure they have a like on their website i'm sure they have a like here's proposed oh, what it's right, supposed to right. do what i do is especially if it's if i'm trying to get them off on the sideline like i'll have i'll utilize like reciprocal inhibition so like if it's their yep. calf like i'll have them walk backwards so their calves not um not like uh, yeah like pushing off so i'll have them walk backwards trying to get that like that tib anterior working more and then um and then i have them lay down one actually and like i'm not trying to call out any ats but when i see people like especially calf cramps is first thing to do is stick the leg up in the air and start massaging it or start stretching it and it just seems very backwards to me because um you you have like you're trying to get gravity to work with you not yeah. against you when you stick the leg in the air all you're doing is bringing the blood flow away mm-hmm. from, away from the area so um usually i just lay them in the hook lying or like bend their knees and then i'll um massage their calf or like whatever yeah. i'm using the blood flow to my benefit yeah. instead of like getting it away and then um that's like one of the things i tell my students like do not stick their leg up in there unless it's like a <laughs> hamstring but yeah. like that's you're kind of limited right. on what you could what you can kind of do on that right one. And then if it's really bad, like I had a couple athletes who it was just like they're from like abdomen down. I was like, all right, you're getting an ice tub. Yeah, seriously, you're dunked. Right. Like you're not dealing with heat exhaustion or a heat stroke. Hopefully not yet. But, um, you know, if your whole body's cramping, let's just like get you in, calm down the area. I try to get them to like do little movements in there Mm -hmm. too. Like, like, uh pumps or like just move their legs or yeah something you want to read the story about cramps yes so this one's by anonymous my first six hours as a sports medicine student we had a heat related emergency that had to be transported to the hospital 
collegiate women's soccer player during a two-a-day practice. She made her way in, wait, but just barely, and was allowed to practice with modifications. Halfway through practice, she goes down with a calf cramp. My preceptor ran over to see what was going on, and us students followed. Her cramp started in the calf and then started to go into her quad and hamstring. Then both legs started cramping fully. I had seen muscle cramps in one or two muscles at the same time before, but we were looking at six major muscles cramping at the same time. Ouchie. Yeah, seriously, man. (laughs) That's brutal. I know. Then she started to cramp in her arms and hands as well. Wow. That's kind of scary. That's wild. I had never seen full body cramps before or since. It was a hot day in the summer and her temperature was elevated above 100 degrees. We put her on on the back of the cart and drove her over to the ice bath we had on the side of the field. Everyone talks about trying to pick up a passed out patient and how it's like picking up a sack of potatoes, but I had never experienced picking up someone who was stiff as a board. That's crazy. I know, because cramping. Right. Yeah, that that does make it difficult for sure. You know what? I got to say, like, the first time you actually feel a cramp is kind of nuts. Yeah, for sure. Because... Like, especially, or the first time you see one, because mm-hmm. you can see... The contraction. Yeah, you can see the contraction, how it just like... And it's weird because they're not doing it. Right. And most of the time, they're like just freaking out about it. Yeah. And you're like, okay, let's try to calm this down. Yeah. <laughs> she was like a pair of super starched jeans back in the day. Oh my gosh. We transported her to the athletic training clinic and continued treatment there, but her cramping never subsided and she was struggling to rehydrate. We ended up calling EMS when she was still cramping 35 minutes later. Man, that's, that's tough. A long 35 t- minutes of cramping. Ow. Yeah. And there were no signs of improvement. According to my preceptor, she was still cramping at the hospital, and they had to give her something to knock out to then be able to put an IV in and rehydrate her. Wow. That's crazy. She ended up doing good and was back in practice the next week. It was quite the experience for my literal first couple hours of being an AT student in my program. Seriously, That's crazy. Also, um, I feel like you'd be so sore from that. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking the follow-up. I was like, oh, I bet. I bet like she, she was just super sore. I'm like, surprised just she everywhere. was able to go back the next week. That yeah. is nuts. Yeah, for sure. It makes sense, the whole IV and rehydration, and man, they had to knock her out that just... Yeah, just to get the IV in. Right. Oof. Wow. I'm surprised. See, then then your mind is going, okay, is it more like a rhabdo or... Well, like- that's, that's what I was thinking. Now, the follow-up, too, because of depending on how intense the cramps were, right? Now, you have to be worried, was it so intense that could it induce a rhabdo situation? Which, I'm, again, I'm sure that was monitored when um, right, right. she was in the hospital and... Obviously, the days later, kind of making sure right. that's not a possibility. But still, that's that's something to keep in mind on follow-up. Mm-hmm. Do you have any cramp stories? Not really, just because, again, most most time with like track, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, it can happen. But it's not like, it's not a continued thing, right? right Except right. the distance athletes, but... Once you cramp, you're done. Yeah. Um, and then even when I was working... Soccer? soccer i didn't have a lot hmm. that's yeah, good my kid you guys also kind of it was like cold nights and later in the season yeah early on we'd have some warm games but it didn't happen that often right but yeah we're, we really weren't in the heat that we often. had some pretty good cramping um when i traveled with my co-head to 
women's soccer for state uh, championships. Oh, I could imagine. Um, Especially being state. Well, because it was also, we had a lightning delay, mm-hmm. and which was like an hour. Yeah. And then the two halves, there wasn't any extra time, but I know they were playing... I mean, obviously, really hard. Yeah. So we had some pretty good cramping. And also, it was cold. And it was also a weekend of soccer. So it wasn't, yeah. it was like back to back. Back to back games. It was cold. So maybe some people didn't feel like, oh, I need to hydrate as much. It's hard to hydrate when it's cold. Yeah. A lot of factors there. Right. Also, you don't think about like when you go on a plane, like dehydration on a plane. Yes. Yeah. Like true. we didn't go Travel. on a plane, but like, you know, the teams that well, travel. I was going to say travel in general, like sitting on a bus, right? Like, right. I don't know. I just feel like it's harder to hydrate when you're traveling, especially because like when you think about it, right, more than likely you're going to stop, get food. I mean, in perfect world, the athletes should be getting water with their, <laughs> with their, with their uh, meals. But let's be honest. No, probably not. I'm sure someone got a soda. Soda, coffee, shakes. Oh, yeah, because we're traveling. It, yeah. we're, let's have fun. Right. All right, you ready to move into heat exhaustion and heat yeah, stroke? Yeah, let's do it. All right, For so for heat exhaustion, I have it's like the more moderate form of a heat mm-hmm. illness where it starts with dehydration, the patient's dehydrated, um, and it's to the point that they're unable to continue that intense exercise. Yep. Uh, the biggest difference being between that dehydration and the heat exhaustion is that inability to continue. Yeah. Because like you can practice dehydrated. Yeah. Heat exhaustion, you like you have to stop, and then yeah. heat stroke, you collapse. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to have a collapse, but like you, you're like, not doing you Really great. can't continue. It's the um, nervous system's going haywire. Right. There's the biggest difference also between the heat exhaustion and the heat stroke is the rectal temperature. It's the uh, yep. 105 is that cutoff. But also, uh, without that rectal thermometer, um, you, the CNS involvement. Yep. So which we'll talk about. So which, by the way, that one hundred and five is updated from when we were students. When we were students, the magic number was one hundred and four. You know what? Okay, I'm glad you said that because yeah. I feel like I was I was thinking that, and then. I mean, granted, I mean, if it's borderline, it's you're probably just. You're you know probably- what? Actually, the the um, the position statement does say. Even if it doesn't hit that magic number yeah. 105, you should still treat it as a heat stroke. Yeah, 100%. Because I mean, you don't want it to get there. Like, yeah. you have to stop its progress. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like dehydration, uh, like, progresses into yeah. heat exhaustion, which progresses into heat stroke, which is why it's so preventable and why it's such, a, like, a heartbreak when you hear about these cases that yeah. no one had treatment for. Yeah, well, and again, it goes back to the importance of having an athletic trainer. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Or even if you're not going to be there, having coaches be able to identify and yeah. realize how dangerous yeah, it is. Yeah, how significant this is. I think something that really put it into perspective for us, and this isn't like sport related, but it is activity related. When we went to, um, we just went to Pinnacles National Park, oh, yeah. which was so hot. It was so hot. Yeah. And they put a warning out that said you can't hike or you can, I guess you can do whatever you want. Um, but you, it's really, really highly recommended that you don't hike between the hours of 12 and 5 p.m. Yep. And, you know, we were finishing hikes. Like, we were good noodles. We were finishing hikes like early in the morning and like whatever. And people were out there starting their hikes at 12, 1231. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think, like, I think honestly... I think people don't realize that heat kills. Yeah. 
Like they're like, 100%. oh, like it's gonna be hot, it's gonna be miserable, it's gonna suck. But I don't like, I don't foresee like, yeah, death. an issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people realize. Yeah, it's it's crappy. Right, and so you know you have to put your coaches in this position because it's not like they don't have the same schooling as you most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, they've been around athletics and they've seen like people dehydrated and yeah. cramping and like stuff like that, but. Um, we need to do a better job of educating those around us um, because like I've had uh, coaches who didn't know the signs. Yeah. And then, you know, if um, if they don't know the signs and you're not at, you're not sitting at practice, which a lot of times, like depending on what setting you're in, like you're not able to yeah. sit at practice. Like. Who's the person out there? It's the coach. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So signs and symptoms um, are very similar to the signs of dehydration because it starts with that. So it includes like fatigue, weakness, dizziness, pale skin, and then it um, progresses into like profuse sweating, nausea, vomiting, headache or lightheadedness, persistent muscle cramps, dizziness, loss of coordination. I think I already said that. And also a low blood pressure. And (laughs) I was trying to figure this out, um, like the reasoning behind it. Um, it's and what's the easiest way to remember it? You have a low blood pressure mm-hmm. with dehydration because if you think about um, the amount of fluid, because obviously the the more water you drink, the more fluid you have in your body, yeah. the more blood volume. If you don't have a lot of blood volume, then you don't have an. Uh, um, my co-head really put it in a good way, like a, a water hose. Yeah. It's like turning the water pressure down. Yeah. Like you have less water going through the water hose. Mm-hmm. So there's less pressure exi- like um, against the walls. Against the hose wall. Yeah. So that's why you have a low blood pressure because you decrease that, that volume. Even though it becomes more viscous, it still isn't enough to press, yeah. on a, like put pressure on those walls. Yeah, sure. So treatment of heat exhaustion specifically is removing that person from activity, taking them into shaded or air conditioned area, remove excess clothing, lie them down, monitor vitals, and then cool athlete until below 102 degrees. And that's a rectal temperature, which yep. I learned that your normal rectal temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. I don't uh, think I knew. Not 98.6? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I... You can kind of think of, you know, if a normal, a normal like forehead or tympanic or like, uh, like whatever, um, you want to use is slightly lower Mm -hmm. than you would imagine the core temperature would be slightly Slightly higher. higher. I guess I was just never given a number, but 99.5 is your normal core temperature. And remember it is also a range too, right? There's acceptable ranges. Right. Like my temperature runs low. Yeah. So like when I, when I have a low grade fever, it might be something like if I have a normal fever for someone else, it's actually higher for me because I have a low temperature. Yeah. hundred percent. So like, that's like the number, like the book number, right? Yeah. This is exactly what we're talking about. The book. Yeah versus Mm -hmm. real life exactly irl right and then i was also trying to find information like how long you're supposed to dunk someone yeah Um, that was that was that was a good note um so uh this is from casa douglas casa the guy um if you have uh, so i don't know about like above 50 degrees but 
they specifically had for water temperatures below 50 degrees, which sounds really cool. I usually have it between 50 and 60. So, yeah. which that's the that, most right. Like because you're you're using the cold tub that you would normally use for cryotherapy, anyways. Right. So that's what most people do. But I could see like. Like if you're if you're trying to be like, oh, I'm trying to make you like the emergency one and people just keep throwing ice in it. I could right. see how it can get below 50. Mm-hmm. So any immersion time in water temperatures below 50 degrees should be restricted to about nine minutes. And it's because um, any any um, heat generated mm-hmm. from exercise should be dissipated within that nine minute yeah. time frame. So any heat like because you start at let's say you start at ninety nine point five. Whatever you go above that, even to 105 plus, yeah. like it should dissipate in nine minutes if the temperature is below 50. If it's yeah. higher than that, you're going to need a longer time. Well, and two, that's why you have your threshold on rectal temp, right? You have that magic number of, you know, that 102 trying to get below 102 to know when the athlete can be pulled out and also... um to make sure you don't cool them too much because if you start cooling them too much then it ends in ends up going the other way which they also said the effects of hypothermia yeah. was better than like dealing with the um effects from treating yeah. someone and making them too cold yeah. was better than the opposite of not treating exactly or not treating enough exactly so um, just keep that, keep that in mind while you're monitoring, right? That's, that's why we have that magic number when it is safe to pull them out and transport them. Mm-hmm. But also just don't be like, all right, we're, we're, we're waiting to get back to our 98, 99, because right. that could right. now create another situation that could have been prevented to begin with. Right. Um, so this one from Kirsten M, you want to read this? It's, it's a really cool story about dunking that you wouldn't think of normally. Ooh, okay. Had a ref that wasn't able to keep up on one of the hotter days. I can already see where we're going. (laughs) In my opinion, he should not have uh, physically been cleared to ref. And we dunked him fully clothed mid-game. You don't think about having to do that. Yeah. I I have uh, some experience with this after this story. Okay, okay. This was D3 football in September in upstate New York, which is hot and humid for sure. (laughs) Yes. It was the crew chief, the white hat, the white hat ref, and he handed his hat off to the next most senior guy and played continue. Which is crazy to me. I yeah. mean, that, I mean, I know the game must go on and everything, yeah. but like, well, we can't stop the game. We gotta keep going. From what I remember, it was a long day, and we dunked a few people. Oof, well, yeah, tough I, day. I bet. When we were out giving refs water, he mentioned that he wasn't feeling great, but thought he could continue. He looked to be slowing down a bit, and after a few plays, flagged us down and walked to the sideline. One AT and the doc, along with some AT students, took a quick history and vitals and helped start him with oral fluids and using ice towels. But that process is just slow. Mm -hmm. The crew I worked with at the time used the ice bath frequently for our team, so this wasn't necessarily a last shot intervention. Which I think is a good policy. Yeah, it's true. Like, you don't really want to wait till, like... We're downhill. Right. We took his temp orally during this time, and he never got to the slurred speech and shuffled gait that I see for emergency dunks. Essentially, it came down to the fact that we had at least half a game left, and it was a hot day, and this was a big guy. So we knew this would work and do the job quickly. 
I think our doc, our doc called him the next day to make sure he was still doing okay and had made a follow-up appointment with his PCP. That's crazy. So I have experience with this. Do you? Because most officials, I think we can agree, tend not to be of the younger crowd. Officials scare me. <laughs> officials and running backs, they scare me. Also, if you have worked track, track officials definitely are no. not of the younger no. crowd. No, So we, uh, uh, I think this was when uh, we were working uh U.S. Juniors up in Sacramento a few years ago, and Sacramento in the summer, it's it's an oven. Absolutely. It was it was miserable mm-hmm. for everybody. I couldn't imagine being a competing athlete. I was standing there and I was dying. Ugh. But we had a lot of officials just struggling Ugh. with the heat. Uh-huh. I think we've almost we almost had more calls for officials. Really? To be treated than we did like like necessarily athletes needing something ASAP. Well, elderly is one of the yes, it's a the big risk risks for heat exhaustion, yeah, heat illness. They don't they they have a tougher time regulating mm-hmm. uh, their their body temp. Elderly babies, mm-hmm. those with a uh, compromised immune system. Yeah. So like if you're sick, don't be practicing in yeah. heat. But yeah, no, we definitely had yeah the the officials kept us kept us busy and as far as like heat stuff. Oof. Yeah, it was not good. We had, yeah, we had tubs everywhere. We had tubs with, uh, uh, because it's a, um, like a, a national championship kind of style. Mm-hmm. Like there are no coolers. So everything is bottled. The water oh. has to be bottled. Um, the Gatorade has to be bottled. Like everything's oh. a bottle. So actually, it's a drug testing thing. Oh, that makes sense. Because you, if you, because the bottle's sealed. Right. So no one can tamper it, tamper with it without you knowing. Hmm. Whereas if there's coolers, anyone can put anything in the water. That was like um, back way, 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 way back. Like one of our first episodes, probably with horrible audio. Throwback. Um, with Bill Ito yes. talking about international travel. That's right. And how they couldn't get water for an ice tub. So they had oh, to yeah. use bottled water. Uh-huh. And it was probably the bougiest ice bath. Yep. That's right. Ever because like they avian they water. poured like avian water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so different outside the US. Like even just a simple concept is ice. Like ice is a big deal here. Mm-hmm. Outside the US, ice isn't really like not a lot of people one use it or have that much access to it. Hmm. Like that's kind of a US thing. Interesting. Yeah. Same as coffee. Same as, as coffee. We learned. As we learned from the store. Yeah. Just some random guy was telling us the... We're just picking out some tea. Yeah, just picking out tea. <laughs> we made a friend at the We made a friend. Okay, so moving into exertional heat stroke. Um, So again, this is obvious. Most severe type of heat illness. It can change from heat exhaustion to heat stroke very, very, very fast. So I think people don't realize this. Why? Because, you know, heat exhaustion, you're, you're really... Like you go from dehydration to heat exhaustion, right? You kind of get to that point that you're not really able to yeah. continue and then heat stroke, boom, you can't continue at yeah. all. Um, two main key diagnostic criteria are obviously the core temp is going to be above 105 degrees 
And then the CNS dysfunction. Yeah. So CNS dysfunction, like we were talking about, this is stuff like bizarre behavior, altered mental status, confusion. You could have seizures, emotional instability, disorientation, and they could go into coma. Um, they also might have flushed skin, yep. but they're going to have less sweating because the body's trying yep. to conserve that water. Um, and then the flush skin because the um, blood is going to the surface of the skin to try to dissipate that heat in that way. Um, low blood pressure, again, follows the dehydration, mm. lowered amount of fluid, following heat exhaustion, again, lowered amount of fluid, um, and then heat stroke. So you're still going to maintain that low blood pressure, but the pulse rate is going to be high, like yeah. 160 to 180, mm -hmm. because because you have that lowered amount of uh, fluid, your your heart is going to really be pumping that fluid to try to get to the same yeah. amount of output that it had before with more fluid. Yeah. Also, another thing when we talk about CNS dysfunction and just the altered like behavior, right? A lot of these athletes will be combative, right? Yes. They're, they're, and it's not like a Oh, get away from no, like they are very combative. Like we I've seen it to where multiple people have had to keep one kid in, in the, the in the tub, tub right. to cool them off. So like it's yeah. Like when we say combative, uh, yeah. Right. I think I think some students don't necessarily know what that means no. or what it looks like. Like no until like, you see it. They may want to take a swing at you. Like, right. Right. They don't they don't know they're not in their right state. Um their 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 central nervous system has went into uh literally that fight or flight like survival mode right. while being on haywire. <laughs> so all it knows is I don't feel great. Right. Things are happening and you you guys are doing something to me. Right. So um as someone who's been a lone AT somewhere mm -hmm. like you can always use so I always tell my students it's like if you're working within a team, you have very capable athletic yeah. teammates who can help you yeah. or coaches yeah. who are also more than willing to be able to help you too. Um, I had a football athlete who collapsed and he was so combative. He did not want to get in. Yeah. Um, we had to drive him up to the ice tub. He did not want to get in the ice tub. Um, he did not want to stay in the ice tub. And like I always tell people, like first of all, don't be in swinging range. Yeah. And second of all, like you you have to just depersonalize it and know that it's not towards you. Yep. It's their brain. And it, the same thing happens like you could happen with a concussion too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have, you want to read the story from Spencer? Yes. So the story is by Spencer P. Most terrifying day of my life. Had an athlete with a rectal temp of 104. Completely unconscious, non-responsive to any stimuli, he was out for about for at least 10 to 15 minutes. Traumatic, to say the least. When EMS arrived, his temp had dropped, but it turns out the probe slipped, which they said is super common, so often readings aren't accurate long term, especially once the athlete is conscious and starts moving. So the book says in order to like have the best chance of the probe not slipping, which I didn't know yeah. this. Um, which is why I was super excited that Spencer sent this in because, um, you know, we talk about rectal temp. No one really talks about their experience with rectal temp, mm -hmm. um, especially like they're saying that it's, that it, it can slip and stuff. The yeah. book, so I was reading about this, um, says that it will, one, it's supposed to be three to four inches in. You can use tape 
to keep it yeah. in place. Or this is kind of funny. Um, he, the literally quote unquote the book says you can hold the buttocks together to keep the thermometer in place. <laughs> when they're in the water, that's gonna be tough. <laughs> that's gonna be tough without either you getting in the tub too, right, or someone looking off and be like. And this is what, what we talk doing? about. This is what we talk about the the what the book says versus actual practice <laughs> i mean i get it like i mean worst case like if you're having issues with it i mean you want it to stay right, so like right. worst case you're gonna do what you need to do to make sure this probe stays but right. yeah that's that's gonna be a fun one to explain um something that we haven't talked about or touched upon yet either is that you have a 30 minute window that i like to say before um the point of no return yeah. so this is like when like organ injuries start to happen or like i had an athlete who had a, a previous heat illness or a heat stroke like you know how they say oh i had a heat stroke and you're yeah. like no you didn't this kid actually went to the hospital and had um a kidney injury from Oof. heat stroke and that was that was just because like his coach didn't know the signs yeah. and symptoms he didn't have an athletic trainer there um he didn't know the signs and symptoms he went home and was like not feeling very good and then like went to another soccer practice i think and then like later um went to the hospital and then and then they started treating him so like you think like this is really delayed treatment yeah if he would have gotten treatment within those 30 minutes and he didn't have any like like uh from what i know he didn't have any problems that were more than just like he had damage yeah like i don't think it really affected him that much um but like things like that like that that could have gone really south oh 100 so you have a 30 minute window it's not like the the cardiac where you have like a three minute window and you yeah. have to like do things right away you do have to do things very quickly because it does take time yeah. to do things like for example like with my football player it i want to say it took like 15 minutes yeah just to get him on the cart get him to the ice tub get the ice tub um get this combative athlete yeah. in the ice tub and and start to cool him before i check the time and realize like we we're already like halfway through that yeah. time frame yeah 100 percent. and then uh just like a return to play for these i know that i've seen like it takes like a month to get back after mm-hmm. like a significant heat illness but um, the book technically says it could be between a uh, huge range. It could be as short <laughs> as seven days or it could be something like 15 months. And it depends yeah. on several factors. They're going to do things like they're going to take blood tests, do blood yep. markers, uh, their psychosocial readiness. Yep. If if there's an AT supervising, like is there someone who can mm-hmm. see these signs and symptoms or who can they educate about that? And ultimately, honestly, it's up to the treating physician. Of course. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, there's definitely gonna be a lot of follow up in that in that regard as far as okay, looking at what's been damaged, you know, what are the markers of this organ damage and so on and so forth. Do you have anything else about like the heat illnesses themselves? Or no. Like any... no. Alright, so the next section we have is just prevention of heat illness and and I didn't go into like every part because <laughs> This is so preventable, but I just yeah. kind of put in um, kind of the things that we got stories about yeah. too. Um, one of the big things that I didn't really want to go into, but just to just to say it is, oh, I mean, we've already kind of said it. Like yeah. you want to identify those with a prior heat illness, 
with sickle cell trait or any kind of conditions that would make them more susceptible. Mm-hmm. Like if they are coming right off a, a huge illness yeah. or if they're, if you are dealing with like maybe the masters mm-hmm. um, oh, and goodness, you're yes. dealing with elderly in the heat. Yeah. Like, obviously you're not really going to be dealing with babies in the heat yeah. or like competing in the heat, but you know, yeah. um, you but know, still at the games. Like yeah, if, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, acclimatize over seven to 14 days. I, so a lot of times your governing body is going to kind of talk about this. Yeah. So like, for example, we work in the community college. Mm -hmm. We have a California community college constitution that kind of outlines what the acclimatization process is for like our sports. Um, so we don't really have a say in that, but, um, and as does the NCAA, uh, NCAA has that for at least the equipment intensive sports mm-hmm. like football. Um, and then they also have some recommendations for summer football as well. You want to read this one from Anonymous? Yes. So Anonymous says, I work at a small college in the South that doesn't have football, but we still have other fall sports in season, volleyball, soccer, cross country. We decided as a staff to create an acclimatization program for all sports to use for their preseason. We got it to pass, but of course, some coaches were upset that they couldn't scrimmage another school until day five, compared to day two like they did last year. It was darn three days. <laughs> this is more so just a rhetorical slash thought process type of question, but do other colleges use policies like this? Are other ATs pushing for this as well? Obviously, I'm happy with the outcome we got because it means our athletes are safe and we're also covering our butts in a way. But trying to educate coaches on the on all of this is not easy. It's absolutely not easy to educate coaches. Yeah, and I think it it's tough because it always depends on like the type of coach. Like, right. Most of the time, like, like I have coaches that like in, on hot days, like even though all the charts and stuff and the wet bulb globe says it's like okay, okay. Like, there's not a lot of modification that needs to be done. The coaches modify themselves. And then, on obviously, on the flip side, there's coaches who just, you tell them, like, hey, coach, we got to modify practice, and they, like, lose their mind. Like, so, yeah, it, it all depends on that coach. And I just feel like once coaches, like, kind of feel it out there, too, and they're like, man, God, this is kind of hot for me. <laughs> right. Like, sometimes they right. kind of, like, but, yeah, no, educating them is tough. Honestly, I think it's also hard because you're and this is exactly again for like the millionth time what the book is versus like real life because the book says you're going to want to do this gold standard like here is how you prevent all this and this is what's going to keep you Mm -hmm. good in court like if someone sues you or if someone goes down with a heat illness like why didn't you acclimatize you know um but then like in real life like you put these things in place and you say like we have to acclimatize we have to do this on day five on day seven on day 14 whatever but then coaches talk and they're gonna talk to yep. other coaches in their league other coaches in oh, their goodness, conference, I... other coaches and you know what they're gonna come to you and they're gonna say but this person doesn't oh have goodness to do that. i hate that like and you're the... like just because i'm doing the like i'm giving you more yeah. i'm it doesn't seem like it to you because your focus is oh they're doing this is like what you feel like you get to do right whereas we're giving you like safer more 
opportunity, yeah. but it's not seen that yeah. way. Also, coach, they run their practice like this. Are you going to do that too? Or <laughs> right? No, it's 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 a it's a pick and choose. Like right. oh, they do it this way, but they also do this. Uh, At the end of the season, when they when they uh, when that other team wins. They're going to be like, well, it's because they got to scrimmage on day two. Yeah, yeah that made the difference. That was all the difference. <laughs> Just like how like every that. every kid is going to the NFL. Yeah. Same, same idea. Yep. <laughs> all during COVID, it was a coach who was like. Oh, goodness. Yeah, COVID. Oh, but the, this school isn't doing that. Okay, but that's not our policy. Yeah. I, I love that part. Well, this school, I, I'm not there. Uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Another prevention technique is to educate athletes and coaches regarding the prevention, recognition, and treatment of heat illnesses. We kind of talked about this, but Stephanie F. put it really great. She said, I tell them they have three things they have full control of. Eating, sleeping, and hydrating. Yeah. And really, that's really basic how to put it that way. And like, it seems very obvious, but sometimes you just have to be the one to tell them and they have to hear it from someone who's not their coach, who's telling them over and over and over again, like nagging a bunch of other things. Um, so kind of just some of the, um, like recommendations, they're going to need balanced food, fluids, electrolytes, at least two to three hours before exercise. Um, what I did with my team is I, um, I had them just all like, well, I did like a stretch and flex with them where we're doing like neck strengthening and it was like half of our football team and half the football team, uh, the, like in two days. So then what I did was I just like had them all come around, take a knee. And then I just said, hey, guys, um, who ate today? And like, you know, most of them raised their hands. Some of them didn't. And then I said, what'd you guys eat today? Like, what are some good sources of food to fuel you? And then they went around and they were like, you know, they were just shouting out. So then as they were saying things, I'd say I'd hear them and like kind of like say it right. Beans, rice, chicken. Nice. Um, you know, different like things that they were just saying. And so then and then I was like, you guys, do you hear all this? Like yeah. your teammates know what you need to eat. Yeah. Even if you don't know what you need to eat, like ask your teammates, yeah. ask your coaches. Right. We have a food bank on campus. We have yeah. the calf on campus. We have all these things. You ask your coaches. They have extra food. And, you know, there's no reason why you can't eat before. I was going to say also like something is better better than than nothing nothing. absolutely like if you're confused on what the right thing to eat is i'd rather you eat just something than oh i didn't know what was good for me so i just i I didn't eat right we did the same thing with sleep so i was like okay who slept more than eight hours last night yeah and like we had a couple hands who slept more than six hours last night we had more hands who slept more than four hours last night more hands until like everyone's hands were raised right and then we talked about sleeping in a cool environment yep how important that is to sleep. Um, Which it's getting harder nowadays. <laughs> right. <laughs> Evenings right. are hot. <laughs> right. Um, you know, the the idea of, you know, prioritizing your sleep now because that's when recovery happens. Yeah. You know, you could, there are multiple pieces of the puzzle. You have your food, you have your sleep, you have your hydration. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, how much water should you, should you be drinking? I always, to make it easy for my athletes, I always say, because they, they, uh, I've read this recommendation of um, half your body weight in ounces. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an active population, it should be like your body weight in ounces. Yeah. So I usually just give that recommendation. Oh. NATA does have fluid replacement, which we did an episode on. Yes. 
Um, another throwback. Another throwback, um, which we're also going to talk about pretty soon. But um, essentially, like I just, you know, this is how much you should be drinking. Um, average sweat loss is around one to two quarts of water per hour. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And um, well-acclimatized athletes are going to sweat earlier. And more. And more. Yeah. And then fit athletes are going to sweat more. And well-hydrated athletes are going to sweat earlier. Yeah. So well-hydrated, they sweat earlier. Fit athletes sweat more. Yep. And if you are fit and well-hydrated, which kind of equals well-acclimatized, yeah. then you're going to sweat earlier and yeah. more. So you can kind of see like the the relation of why hydration is important and why um, rebalancing your fluids or replenishing your fluids is important. Yeah. Um, so something... I'm, I'm the total athlete because I sweat at rest sometimes. <laughs> so, boom. You must be. You must be really fit. Super fit. Um, so another prevention technique that was recommended was weighing high risk athletes before and after practice. Yeah. Um, I used to do this with our football team, um, anonymous. We have an anonymous story. Um, that's actually some really good. Yeah. Um, you I, read this? I've heard, I've heard the, like from a practical standpoint, the way in way out is a really good way to go because it's easier to do compared to some of the other hydration monitoring techniques that are more equipment intensive and kind of personnel intensive. Well, also like you get a, like the athletes can see right then and there. Cause if you do it on, like we used to do it on Excel that would automatically like do the percentage, do the calculations. Nice. Um, and you can tell them right then and there if they are, dehydrated or not or like you can give them the recommendations yeah. right then and there it's almost like an instant satisfaction which does so well in this generation yeah yeah for sure and it does help like if you're telling an athlete hey you can't practice today it helps give them a reason why instead of you just being like you can't practice today and they're like i feel fine right you want to read this anonymous one yeah so anonymous says at my university we do weigh-ins before and after practice for football during preseason for hydration purposes the athlete is not allowed to participate in practice if they have lost more than 2% of their body mass and have not replaced it by the next weigh-in. Guidance for hydration are given if higher than 2% loss. We based our policy on the fluid replacement guidelines from the NATA position statement. The same information is also located in guidelines for heat illness. We utilize both athletic training students, athletic training staff, and coaches for weigh-ins, whoever is available that day slash time. The athlete doesn't practice if they don't weigh in slash out. Their coach coordinates that part more because of the weight of his authority. I get it. Weight. (laughs) I got him. He's like our messenger in that regard. So I was asking about like the modifications for this specifically. Yeah. um, Which honestly can be up to you like how you factor that or maybe you guys can put that in your face in our facebook group um which we'll talk about if uh if you do this um and i remember like we would do we would like also monitor over time so like this this person is chronically like they're they're constantly not meeting their hydration guidelines like 
we have to like we sit down and have like an actual talk with them more yeah. than just the simple recommendations um and then also you have to remember that the uh two percent of body weight and the way in way outs like you also have to pay attention to what they're wearing before and after yeah because like if they're wearing their shoes before but they're not after oh, yeah. or they're holding their phone or they're not like that could change a lot um, their wet clothes yes. are going to be heavy. So just kind of thinking about some of those things. Um, obviously, it's not going to be a perfect science, but yeah. at least to minimize some of that. Of course, the variability. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, one of our favorite things is obviously monitoring the environmental conditions, which we know that heat illness can't doesn't always just happen in a hot, humid, sunny yeah. environment. But... Um, you can take that piece, you know, using your wet bulb globe thermometer, restricting activity based on the National Weather yep. Service colored flag conditions. Those range between like 80 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which I <laughs> I didn't know this. Um, you know how they they have like the white flag, green flag, yellow flag, red flag, black flag? Yes. Did you know that it's actually um, you're supposed to like have those flags and post them? Are you serious? In and it's like it's supposed to be like a warning flag and from the book it says it's placed in a location visible from the practice field that are used to notify everyone using that facility what the conditions are and what the restrictions should I be didn't applied know that. which is so funny to me because like i have I, text message because what i have text message i i know exactly <laughs> i i feel like i put up a yellow like if i put up a yellow flag one day people would be like what what's going on yeah. they're going to be confused or not even know or it. even like I like a green flag like for me even like <laughs> I'd be like okay wait let me let me go back to the National Weather Service yeah. and look up what this is supposed to that's be. That's pretty funny. So it so that's why the they're actually like the flag conditions because those are the colors used to put flags huh. up. You're supposed to put look them that. on the practice field. Look at that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like please tell me if you have actual colored flags. Yeah, would, seriously. I'd like to know who totally has that. It would totally make my and day. And who puts it out. Right. Um I think this like the monitoring like this might be uh, uh, Julie Max got instilled in me because she got really nervous when it came to heat. Like she did not play with heat. Mm-hmm. And I guess it transferred to me because when it comes to heat, I don't play with heat. So like this is where your environmental policies are your best friend. Because like mm-hmm. every like when it was the hot time, I was on the uh, charts and everything looking at like obviously like we had the wet bulb globe. So I could take a measure right there. But right, what's gonna piss off Coach more? We all get to the practice field, and I just tell him, "Hey, by the way, no practice today." Or, "Hey, by the way, you need to modify." Or at least giving them a heads up. Hey, this week here are the days that are at least projected are gonna be a problem. Mm-hmm. We're gonna monitor each day, but just as a heads up, here's what's probably gonna happen, or here's what you need to plan on. Right, so at least they know. Oh, this might happen instead of me just rolling up one day. Coach can't practice today. Uh, what right like so so yeah i would look at the weather i'd look at the charts and be like hey guys here's what the projected's looking you need to do the, you know plan on doing this modification i'd remind them that day guys that it's still looking like this here's your modification i would drill it into them every day that hey this is this is what our policy says this is what the recommendations are. This is what we need to do. And having that policy ahead of time and not being like, oh, it's hot today. Shoot. I need to make a policy. Yeah. Because that is the biggest, like if, if you do this in in service or like 
the beginning of the season you say you know or mm-hmm. uh like when it's not hot and then you're like okay but by the way like here coaches here's yeah. our heat policy like if yeah. it begins to get hot these are the things that we're gonna do when it's not like on the forefront of their mind yeah it doesn't feel like they're taking you're taking something away from yeah. them and then when you do get to those you'll be like hey remember that policy that we talked about before we're just instilling this. This is here's the numbers that we have to go off of and blah blah blah. Now that's not saying it it's gonna go smoothly and coach is just totally <laughs> accepting. All right. There's still gonna be a time, no matter how much you do, how much you text, how much you remind them, there's still gonna be that kind of frustration of, well it's not that bad out. Right. Kind of thing. Right. So but it, it minimizes how much of a confrontation you have. <laughs> Absolutely. In a very confrontational job we have. Yes. <laughs> so that is all I have for heat illnesses. Do you have anything else for heat illnesses? Nope. No, I think that was perfect. Yeah. So this is, again, a new type of episode that we're trying to get out where we kind of actually do a lot more. Because our story episodes, we're obviously still going to do our story episodes. Um, but we're. I'm also trying to just integrate more of like what actually does is like our practice book say like yep. versus like what people do in real life um or what real life allows or what real life allows absolutely yeah. so um hope you guys like this episode let us know if you did um we will be going back to our education and story episodes every other week so next week we are going back to our education yep. episodes um and then again we have a story episode just like this if you want to Submit a story for a future episode. You can go to our Instagram at AT Corner Podcast, where we have um, lots of different like things, polls, mm-hmm. Instagram stories, um, Instagram questions that you guys can weigh in on. And then we have a Facebook group where you can post um, about questions you have about your practice or just topics you want to hear from other athletic trainers um, and that's facebook.com slash group slash AT Corner Podcast it is reporting year so please yeah. take advantage of our free $1 and regularly priced CEUs if you're listening to this right now we have I think one or two more days of our sale yes um, we have 20% off right now so um, pay attention to that if you're not listening to it in the first two days of this releasing then um, we're going to have more sales so just keep an eye out on our social media for that and Let's get those CEUs. And speaking of CEUs, we also we're still working with Medridge, so um, we have one hundred fifty dollars off if you use code AT Corner again. All this stuff is in the show notes below. Yep. And that Medbridge one, it's a year subscription, so it's good for this reporting cycle and the next. And next. All right, Randy. Thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>